Today's scripture comes from Luke 23, verses 33 through 38. It says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know what they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at them, saying, he saves others, let him save himself, but he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him salvation, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, how's everyone doing today? My name is Jared, I'm one of the elders here at First Eagle Church, and we're continuing our series leading up to Easter Sunday called The Cup, The Cross, and The Crown this morning. And we'll start off with a quick story. Um, when I was in college, I uh, was, was good friends with and, and roommates with uh, a guy named Brett. And he was a good friend of mine growing up, and we were friends just through youth group at church and the college together, a room together in college, and Brett had this just incredible ability to sleep through his alarm clock. I don't know if you've ever known anybody like that, but this was, uh, when I was in college, it was before the days of smartphones, so I've got, you know, my smartphone is my alarm now, and I've got it set up so that um, it starts out with like birds chirping, like it's kind of pleasant, and it starts out at a low volume. As, as the alarm goes on, it just slowly, increasingly gets louder. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty pleasant wake-up experience. Well, you know, before those days, we, we had to use actual alarms. I think I've got a picture of one. Sometime in the 90s, I'm pretty sure this was the only alarm clock I had to use. Um, anybody else have one of these? Just by uh, show hands. Like, almost all of us had one of those. So, when you see the picture, you can you can probably almost hear it. Can you still hear it? I mean, this is just like the uh, the instant as soon as the clock strikes six a.m. or whatever time the alarm is, just that instant. Well, my buddy, I, I, I don't know how he did it. He somehow he developed this ability for that to happen and go off, and he just keeps sleeping straight. I mean, like half an hour, this thing's going off. I was in the room next door to him. We we're in a four uh, four bedroom apartment. I'm next door to him. His alarm wakes me up in the morning. He just keeps sleeping through. So I eventually start throwing shoes at the wall, like whatever I can do to get him to wake up. And it's it's crazy how our bodies and, and our brains have this this incredible capacity just to, to grow so accustomed to something that we hardly even hear it. And my fear is that as we're going through this series and as we center on the cross, that there's a part of our brain that just says, oh, I, I know this story. Oh, it's, it's Easter. I, I know where we're going here. I grew up in church. I, I know this passage of Scripture really well. And my fear is that there's a part of us that's just going to maybe turn off a little bit. And so I don't want us to do that this morning. I want us to, in my prayer even for this sermon is that we would be able to see Jesus this morning in a new way. We'd be able to experience Jesus in a new way. And so that's my prayer this morning. And so if, if you will, I'm going to ask that, uh, that we would just pray one more time together. 
together. That God would open our hearts and our eyes just to His Word and the truth of who He is. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your Word this morning. And God, as we as we dive into it, God, we pray that your Word would speak to our hearts. That God, you would be able to work through whatever whatever words I might jumble through while I'm up here. That God, you would speak through your spirit and that God truth would permeate into our hearts. That God, we would see you this morning. We would have a fresh experience with Jesus. So that's our prayer this morning. And God, we ask that by your spirit you would make that happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. So we do find ourselves at the cross. Right in the middle of our series, the cup, the cross, and the crown. We find ourselves at the cross this morning. And so just quick, uh, quick background story, kind of how we got here. Jesus has been arrested in the garden. He went through the mock trial uh, with Pilate. Pilate's trying to get rid of him. He doesn't want the situation. He sends him over to Herod. Uh, Herod doesn't want anything to do with him really either. So he's fault in him. sends him back to Pilate. Um, Pilate tries to even more get out of the situation as the Jews are continually calling to crucify him. Pilate beats Jesus, has him scourged. Still, the people want him crucified. Pilate tries to release another prisoner at Passover. It was custom for, for the government to release a prisoner to the Jews, and this is the time period that we're in right now. And so Pilate says, hey, let, let me release Jesus to you. They say, no, we want Barabbas, who is known instigator, the murderer. And finally, Pilate gives in. He symbolically tries to just wash his hands of it and he says, fine, do with him whatever you want. And so that's where we are in this passage as we see Jesus nailed to the cross. And so I want to look at three portraits of Jesus on the cross this morning. Three portraits of Jesus. And so the first First portrait we come to is Jesus the crucified. Jesus the, the crucified. Verse 33 says, when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So the, the author Luke here simplifies this in a simple four-word phrase, there they crucified him. Now the Bible gives few details uh, as far as what crucifixion really meant, and of course we're able to know just through other forms of history what crucifixion looked like, but the, the Bible has a few details, likely because the original audience would have been really familiar with this process. And so our familiarity with crucifixion probably comes from just growing up in, in a church background. Maybe we've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, and that gave us a, a pretty vivid picture, but we've never smelled Right? We've never been walking down the road trying to get from one town to another and had to walk past someone moaning on a cross. Okay, so when, when Luke here, he's not trying to just simply simplify it by saying they crucified him. His audience knows what that means. And so it's important for us to know what that means too as we talk about the crucified Christ. The pain was so excruciating that uh, that's the word that was invented for it. That word excruciating, literally in the original Latin, it means from the cross. Excruciating. The victim was affixed to the cross with rope or nails and left to a prolonged and 
agonizing death, eventually by asphyxiation, not being able to breathe anymore. And you would typically take, depending on the, the health of the individual and depending on the, the status they were in when they were actually placed on the cross, death would generally occur anytime between three hours and up to nine days. It was a slow, agonizing death. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus called crucifixion the most wretched of deaths. A Roman philosopher, Cicero, asked that the decent Roman citizen not even speak of the cross because it was too disgraceful a subject for the ears of decent people. And note that this is in the same culture that built coliseums so that people could go in and be eaten by animals or that they could watch and cheer on as they fight to the death. That culture says you shouldn't even talk about the cross because it's too indecent. And so I hope that gives you some picture of what crucifixion was like. And even in, in its own culture, it was looked down upon. It was too indecent for people to talk about. And so it's interesting that this, this symbol for Jesus, which has become one of the most famous and well-known symbols throughout the entire world, is the symbol of the cross. Early churches, because believers even had a practice of making a sign of the cross over themselves, that they would adorn themselves with it around their necks, around their houses, and we still do this today. The symbol of the cross, which at one point had been a symbol of terror, something that you couldn't even talk about. Jesus has transformed it into a symbol of hope. And I, I can't help but be reminded of the words in Revelation 21 5, when it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Even the symbol and picture of the cross that Roman culture said we can't even talk about it has become something that is a symbol of hope that we adorn on our necks or in our houses. Behold, I am making all things new. He did and he does. Church history tells us that Peter requested uh, that he, when he was martyred and he was crucified, that he requested to be crucified upside down, recognizing that the traditional form of crucifixion, he wasn't even worthy of it. Because that was the same manner that Jesus died and so it begs the question for us, if Jesus can take something as vile and disgusting as the cross and turn it into beauty, what can he do with us? What can he do with our life? What can he do with our hearts? So I'm going to ask you to allow me to read to several truths of God's word this morning. I want you to hear it, just his redemptive heart for you, his redemptive heart for people. Isaiah 61.3 says to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be called. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. Ephesians 2 Verses 1 and 4 and 5 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
Ezekiel 11, 19 says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Do you see how Jesus makes all things new? And when we see the crucified Christ and when we see within the context of the culture that says the cross is disgusting and ugly and despicable and not even able to be talked about, and yet, through the power of Christ, he can take something so vile and turn it into something so beautiful. And my prayer is that we can see how Jesus does the same thing in our hearts and in our life. He can take an ugly, dead heart, a heart of stone, and turn it into a heart of flesh. Throughout all of history, God has a habit of creating beauty from brokenness. And we see a whisper of that truth in the crucified Christ. So where are you seeing God's redemptive transformation in your life? Where do you see it still happening? Because when God takes a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh, that's also a, a lifelong process of being turned from stone to flesh. A lifelong process of sanctification, of slowly becoming more like Jesus, of dying to ourselves and being alive to Christ. Where do you see that redemptive process alive and real and happening in your life today? As we look at the crucified Christ, my prayer is that we would look at our own hearts and our own lives and see where is God making beauty from ashes. So we see Jesus the crucified, we also see Jesus the compassionate. Jesus the compassionate, verse 34 says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a, a quote, and we should have this on the screen, by J.C. Ryle. He says, these words were probably spoken while our Lord was being nailed to the cross or as soon as the cross was reared on my hand. It is worthy of remark that as soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. And so I want us to, to know, first of all, that, that Jesus fulfills prophecy, along with many other things during this time, Jesus fulfills prophecy and statements. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. So how would how, how do you think you would respond? Let's place ourselves for a moment in Jesus' shoes. How do we respond in this moment? The same crowd who, who literally days earlier is waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, welcoming Jesus into the city. Those same faces he now sees from the cross shouting at him. He heard saying, crucify him. How, how would you respond to and if there's ever a time when Jesus, you would think that he would have been justified in saying, you know, hey, hey, you know, God, Father, I, I'm going through with this, but I just need like a bolt of lightning to come down, like that guy right there. So I, I saw my hand the other day, and he was not saying this. Um, I mean, if, if ever Jesus was, was going to say something like that, doesn't this feel like the time that he would be justified? As he's hanging on the cross, but the heart of God shines through in the sun here. And he says to the same faces who were days earlier praising him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus desired 
the very best for the very worst. And love for those who hate. Forgiveness is difficult, right? Does anybody have trouble forgiving? So you can raise your hand. Like sometimes I have trouble forgiving. Forgiveness is really hard, right? And it's necessary. And it's, it's ingrained into the culture of the world. I mean, can you imagine if forgiveness just didn't exist, what would happen in the world? Marriages would fall apart. Like if you just weren't able to forgive anyone, your marriage wouldn't work, right? Businesses wouldn't be able to operate. Because we're, we're all fallen, sinful human nature, and sometimes we offend people, or sometimes we hurt people's feelings, even unknowingly or unwillingly. Uh, so business would be able to happen. Relationships all over the world would fall Like forgiveness is ingrained into just the, the process of the world. Forgiveness has to occur for relationships to exist because we're all broken and we're all sinful. But forgiveness creates some kind of a problem because it, it almost seems unjust, right? When someone does something wrong to you, you're just supposed to forgive them and then just continue on with the relationship. But it, it almost seems like, well, that, no, that's, that's not right. Like, if they did something wrong to me, they need to be able to pay for that. It seems unjust in a way for forgiveness to actually occur. But what we see, is, as we look at the compassionate Christ, we see that the cross of Christ has got a solution to that problem. The forgiveness offered by Christ empowers us to forgive others. I'm going to read a passage quickly found in Matthew 18. This is verse uh, 23 through 35. We don't have this on the screen, so I'm just going to ask you to, uh, to follow along. Um, but it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it may be familiar to you, but, but I want us to to just read it together this morning. So you can either follow along in your Bible or we can listen. But it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. But when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. With his wife and children, all that he had, paid to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. But when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers and they should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you have forgiven your brother. From your heart. So this passage seems to say what we can learn from this parable is that if you've been forgiven by God, that we should be empowered and able to extend forgiveness to others. And we should be empowered and able to extend forgiveness to others. Grace transforms our heart and our life. When you are shown immeasurable grace, it transforms your heart and transforms your life. And it enables you to be able to show grace towards those around you. 
forgiveness lies at the heart of God's dealing with people. It lies at the heart of His very nature. You can go back a thousand years before the cross. Moses, if you remember the story, he asked to see God's glory. Do y'all remember that? He said, show me your glory. Somebody wrote a song about it. Moses asked God, show me your glory. And part of God's response to that is found in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. He said, it says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not believe the guilty of so when Moses says, show me your glory, in other ways, God, what, what makes you God? What makes you special? Show me your glory. What is it about you that is above everything else? Show it to me. Part of his answer is just simply this. I am forgiving and loving and good. Forgiveness is an intricate nature of who God is. And it's displayed through Jesus as he hangs on the cross. And because of that, we are able to forgive those around us. And because of that, we point people to Jesus and we extend forgiveness in circumstances where the world says you should not. Christians, all people, should be the most forgiving and gracious people on this planet. So I don't know that compassion or graciousness or forgiveness was ever on display more so than in this moment. To hear Jesus say to his tormentors, Father, forgive them. And that's difficult for me to understand, but I, I, I didn't live a perfect life. Like, I'm sinful. And so you can imagine Jesus, who, who never did anything wrong, yet here he is, being hung on a cross while people hurl insults at him. How small is the forgiveness that we are asked to extend? when compared to the forgiveness of sin and loss. And so when you think about your relationships, when you think about broken relationships, people in your life who you struggle to forgive, and for some of us, we have, we have wounds and relationships that are years and years old, and we've never truly been able to forgive. God's Word shows that we are empowered by the forgiveness that we've received through the cross of Christ, that we are empowered to forgive and extend forgiveness to those around us. And as we see that portrait of, of Jesus, the compassionate Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, pray that that would allow us to experience that Jesus and that we would be able to forgive those around us. So we've seen the crucified Jesus and we've seen Jesus the compassionate and the last portrait of Jesus that we're going to look at this morning is, is Jesus the conquering king. Jesus the conquering king. Verses 35 through 38 says, And the people stood by watching he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God and has chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king, do you save yourself? There is also an inscription over them This is the king of the Jews. 
you can hear the mockery in the passage, right? And you can hear it from the people around. You can even hear it from the sign that's above him. This is the king of the Jews. For those watching, Jesus was an object of ridicule. Part of the suffering of crucifixion wasn't just the, the pain of the physical suffering. Part of it was just simply the sheer public nature of life. You were outdoors, exposed to the elements, exposed to people who would walk by or at this time in Jerusalem as the Passover was during this time, there were thousands and thousands of people flocking to the city. It's, it's, it's likely that there were thousands of people who saw Jesus on the cross. Thousands of people. The scripture shows the picture of a, of a crowd mocking him, hurling insults. The whole thing was a joke. The whole thing was a joke to people. Even down, as I mentioned to you, the sign above him. John 19, 19-22 records this passage of, uh, of Pilate. It says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather the man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have So the, the Jewish leaders come to Pilate and say, No, let's not, let's not call him the king of the Jews. Let's just say he said he was the king of the Jews. And, and Pilate, in, a, in a, almost a mocking way towards the Jews, says, Hey, what I have written, I have written. It stands. He stays the key of the Jews. And so the irony, of course, is that Jesus is the king of kings. And he's not only the king of the Jews, he's the king of the world. He's the king of all other rulers. There's a quote by John MacArthur we have on the screen. He says, after all, this is in fact God the Son. Therefore, this is in fact blasphemy of monumental proportions. Here is sin at its apex. Here is sin at its ultimate. Here is blasphemy at its pinnacle, mocking deity, sneering at the incarnate God, and with glib satisfaction, highly sarcastic scorn of the Creator and Redeemer, the true King, the true Messiah. Jesus was the King. And in the moment, God's fury should have come down on the crowd. Instead, God's fury came down on Christ. And so this substitutionary atonement that you see as God's fury is poured out on Christ in place of the crowd displays a higher level of kingship than any number of conquests or armies or followers or conquered nations could ever exhibit. You see, earthly kings, when you talk about a king, um, and here in America, we don't use that terminology very often, and so we're not always quite as familiar with it. I just think of England when you're king. Um, and so, when you think of a king, though, generally there's, there's three things that earthly kings are defined by, and Jesus didn't fit any of these. So those, those three things are, earthly kings are defined by their power over others, their wealth, and their use of force. So their power over others, well, well Jesus said things like this, if you want to be first, you need to be last. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus displayed this at the Last Supper. He got down on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. 
not exactly a picture of someone who's just trying to exert their power and authority over others. The king would have said, you watched my feet. The king said, we're going to be first because I'm the king. The king is defined by the wealth. The king has the, the resources of a, of a nation at his disposal. Yet, Jesus, in dealing with the rich young ruler, said this, Foxes have been and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his hand. Not exactly the picture of a wealthy man. Jesus was, was poor in many ways. He traveled from one town to another, never really knew where he was going to sleep the next night. And lastly, of course, earthly kings typically have armies at their disposal. If they want something, if they want to conquer a nation, they'll send an army after it, and they'll just go get it, and they'll take things by force. Yet, when Jesus, in the garden, Peter draws his sword to defend him, and Jesus rebukes him. Hardly a man trying to take what he wants by force. And so Jesus doesn't fit this earthly mold of a king that we've created. Yet, Revelation 19, verse 16 says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. In the end, all other rulers will be conquered or abolished, and Jesus will reign supreme over all. Now we're reminded of this at the cross by just a, a simple sign above his head, Jesus, King of the Jews. And you can take out Jews and you can put in Jesus, King of all of creation. King of the heavens and the earth. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus on the cross is Jesus, the conquering king. So this morning we've seen Jesus, the crucified, we've seen Jesus, the compassionate, we've seen Jesus, the conquering king. And I, I pray that just through God's word this morning, we've been able to experience Jesus in a fresh way today. As we look at the cross, we don't just see it as just a narrative to go through at this time of year because Easter is next weekend. But we see Jesus. We see how even in the midst of, of what we would call his worst hour, his worst time, that we can see Jesus as someone who is glorified, who is majestic, and who is beautiful. Let's see creates beauty from ashes and beauty from brokenness. And as he calls us into a deeper understanding of forgiveness and grace, to be able to receive it from him and also be able to extend it to others. And then as we see Jesus as the king, as the conquering king who defies what this world calls the kingdom and embraces and brings about God's kingdom on this earth. We're going to wrap up this morning. I'm going to ask about the band uh, just to come back on stage and those who are serving communion, we're going we're gonna to serve communion this morning together. Communion is for those who are, who are followers of Christ and who know Christ and kind of how we do it here at Verse of Heal. We come down the center aisle where the communion serves as you tear the bread off, as you dip it in the juice and partake of that. Our prayer this morning, we're just reminded of Jesus on the cross. We're reminded of his body that was broken for us. You'll hear that as you tear the bread that we're reminded of His blood that was poured out for us. You'll hear that as you dip it in the juice. That we'll be reminded 
the goodness of Jesus. Crucified, they beauty from brokenness, compassionate, extending forgiveness and empowering us to do the same. King, ultimately, who rule and reign will last forever. That's the Jesus that we worship this And so, if you will, to finish this morning, I'd like to just read the end of this chapter. Verses 44 through 49. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn to, and then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I accept this and breathe his last. Now the centurion saw that it taking place and praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd that had assembled for this spectacle and this saw that had taken place returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. He prayed. God, we are grateful for this morning, and we're grateful for your word, and God, we're grateful for the Easter season. Though we can be reminded of your death on the cross, so we are reminded how you make beauty from brokenness. God, you've done that for those of us in this room who are followers of Christ, and we've seen that to be true in our heart as you as you replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. God, we pray that you continue to see your God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know that Jesus, God, we pray this morning that your spirit would intercede into their lives, and God, you would replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. God, you would draw people close to yourself, and your Holy Spirit would move to this place right now, and God, they would know the one true Jesus. God, we are grateful that that you are here with us, and we're grateful that we have your word, that your spirit can move through it, it is living and active, sharper than any that voice, that piercing our hearts. We pray that you would do that this week. It's in Jesus' precious name.